Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. I want to read for you now uh, the first of, it's towards the start of the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, but it'll be on the screen, reading from verse 13. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples, where he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. If we haven't met before, we're going to have a look at this passage. Let's pray again, though, first, and then we'll hook into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for the privilege that it is to gather here this morning. Um, Thank you, God, that you are a God who speaks to us. And so we pray now that um, you'd help us to hear your word. Um, We pray that whatever kind of has been with us, whatever's been burdening us from this week, Lord, that for the next little bit, for the next moment, we'd be able to hear the living God speak. And God, that you would help us respond to that. Give us this grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can make a difference. That's if you believe Nike's last 10-year ad campaign called You Can Make a Difference. If you've ever seen these ads, the basic premise of it is that if you buy these shoes, you will be something big and you will change the world. Now, I watched one of these ads this week and it was inspiring. It was of an Arabic woman and it was called What Will They Say About You? And basically, as you watch this ad, you see her pull these shoes on and it says, you know, what will they say about you? Will they say you're not good enough? Will they say you're not strong enough? Will they say you shouldn't be there? Or because of the effort you put in and the shoes that you're wearing, you will be something big, you will make a difference. And then it finishes, the ad finishes with the Nike tick and it says, believe in more. Now, as I was watching this, I was inspired. I went to the shops. I nearly bought the shoes. But as I was watching this ad and thinking about it, I think that Nike are onto something here. I think they're tapping into something within, a, within all humans, which is this idea that we do actually want to make a difference. We do actually want to make some kind of impact on the people and the places around us. Now, the reason we start like this this morning is because God has kind of made us this way. God has made us with this desire to make a difference. And we find ourselves in the Bible in this moment where Jesus speaks into that. So today we want to ask a simple question, which is what difference can we make? What is the impact we can have on those around us? And what's it going to look like to actually participate in this where we can make a difference around us in our lives and in the people and the places around us? So to do that, we're going to open up our Bibles and have a look at this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And today it's really simple. We've got two images, two ideas. And Jesus is essentially going to say you can make a difference. One's negative, though, and one's positive. So let's hook into this. Let's begin with the negative impact when Jesus calls his followers the salt. So it's in verse 13. It says this, 
You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So, how can we make a difference? What difference can we make around us? Well, Jesus begins here by speaking of the negative difference, the negative impact we can make. Now, the context here matters, so let's set the scene. Ross mentioned it before. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' most famous teachings where his followers have followed him to a mountain, and Jesus is going to speak to them about what it means to follow him. You can read this for yourself from chapter 5 to 7. This is where he speaks to them about this. This is the context, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Jesus begins by saying to his followers, you are salt. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be called salt? That sounds a little bit weird and a little bit strange. Well, in the ancient world, salt had a a lot of different uses, but the two main uses were preservation and flavor. So if you wanted to keep your meat from going rotten, you would cover it in salt, right? Because it was preservation. Not only that, it was also flavor. So if you wanted to bring the fullness out in your meals, you would put salt in it. Salt was preservation and flavor. So Jesus says to his disciples, you are salt. But the thing is, he's not actually talking about preservation or flavor. He's talking about effectiveness. And we see that in the, next, in the next line, because he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now that, that too seems a little bit strange, because salt can't actually lose its saltiness. You know, that, that doesn't actually happen. So, so what does Jesus mean here? Well, he's speaking about effectiveness. And to understand that even more, let's go deeper into the illustration or the image of salt. Okay, so it, it's kind of like this. A few years ago, a few years ago now, when I was in school, um, I, I did hospitality. And so that's cooking, if you don't know what that is. And there was this moment where our teacher taught us this invaluable lesson about salt. So we were making a dish. It was a uh, chicken and rice dish, and we decided to, to make the rice. It was a tomato pesto rice. So we made, it was like two cups of rice, mix in tomato pesto, and then you know you've got to season it. So we put some salt and pepper in it, and we made, you know, our dish. Now, our teacher came over, and she was the best. She was this, you know, I reckon she was mid-60s. We thought she was mid-80s, but she was just the kindest lady, the kindest teacher we ever had. So she comes over and she, she tries the rice. And as she tries the rice, she looks at us and she, she says, guys, you've got to season it. And we said, we said, well, we already have. And so she says, no, you've got to get some more. So she grabs the salt and it's that, you know, the white and red container. And she, she grabs that salt and no joke, she opens it to the full circle. You never do that. And she begins to pour this salt in. Now, I promise, it's like three tablespoons into this dish that she's putting this salt in. She mixes it together, she tries it, and then she says it needs more. Now, we're thinking, great, our teacher's lost her taste buds, and this is going to be a problem for us. But then she grabs the salt and she puts more in, the same amount again, and she mixes it up, she tries it, and then she looks at me and she says, taste it. Now, I'm thinking she's stitching me up. Like, I was a bit of a rat of a kid in high school, so this would have been okay if she did this. But I taste it, and and no joke, it was unbelievable. It tasted so good. It can't be good for you, but it tasted good. And in this moment, she's teaching this invaluable lesson. If you're going to use salt, you have to use enough of it to make a difference on the meal that you're making. 
Now, this is what Jesus is speaking about here when he says, if salt loses its saltiness, he's not saying it can actually, you know, technically lose its saltiness. He's not talking about preservation or flavor. He's talking about effectiveness. And he says, if it's not effective, then it's going to be rejected and thrown underfoot. Now, let's ask this question. So if that's what he's talking about, what does it mean when he refers to his disciples, his followers as salt? Well, the context here helps. So the Sermon on the Mount is all about what it means to follow Jesus. And you could sum up the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus wanting your whole heart, all of your life. You know, in fact, essentially there's moments where Jesus will say he doesn't want your external obedience, he wants your heart. So there's going to be famous lines like, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. Jesus says, I tell you, don't even hate people. He wants your whole heart. Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even lust after someone in your heart. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your friend. I tell you, love your enemy. We'll reflect on a few other ones in this series. You know, things like when you pray, pray to your Father in heaven. Things like don't just store up your treasures on earth, store them up in heaven. We're going to look at authenticity as well, what it means to be an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount holds. And at its heart is this idea of if you want to be all in, if you want to follow Jesus, it's, it's wholehearted. Now you come back then to this illustration, this imagery of salt. And what Jesus is saying here is essentially if you're going to follow Jesus and you're half-hearted or diluted in your faith, Or if you've compromised, then what happens is that's going to be rejected. You will be rejected and the message of Jesus will be rejected. If we're half-hearted, the impact we're going to have around on people around us will be a negative one. Now, what I love about this is we know this through our experience. You know, we know this. If we look around, we know that people have rejected Christianity based on Christians. It was... Mahatma Gandhi, the famous uh, Indian revolutionary, won that Nobel Peace Prize. He said, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. We know that, right? We know people who say that. He said, in fact, he even went further and said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. We know people who would say this. In fact, and, and we know that it's not just overseas with big guys like that. We know that it's in our own culture and in our own community. And particularly if you think about what the church has been up to in the last 50, 60 years, you know, with the scandals that have come out, particularly around church abuse, it's horrific, the stuff that's happened there. And the covering it up and the impact that that's had is that people reject Christianity based on people who say they're Christians, but they've compromised. They say they follow Jesus, but they've compromised. They're diluted in their faith and they're selfish and they're sinful and they're not all in. We know this is true. We've seen this in our communities. But I think the most confronting thing about this is it's not just with big scandals. It's just with half-hearted hypocrisy. And the research backs this up. So in 2017, I know it's a, a little bit dated, but only five years ago, there was some research that came out by a group called McCrindle that did some research of faith and belief in Australia. And we've got some uh, images on the screen from this, a nice little infographic. Let's start with the 10 perceptions of Christianity. This is what someone who's not a Christian thinks about Christians. So maybe, you know, you are here today and you think this about Christians. So at the top, you've got, uh, you've got some good ones, loving, caring, kind, that sort of stuff. That sounds good. But then down the bottom, you've got some not so great ones, traditional, judgmental, uh, old-fashioned, 
And then the, the second last one, opinionated, hypocritical as well. That's what people think about Christians. Now, you might be sitting here and you might go, well, you know, we kind of know that. We get that our community's thinking about that, but it's not that big a deal. The problem is it is a big deal. And that's because of the next box there, the top five behavior blockers. So what that means is the behaviors that people see in people who call themselves Christians and those behaviors that stop them from investigating Christianity at all. And so you got the top five. So number one at 57%, and forgive me for the fact that the writing's a little bit small, but number, five, uh, number one, you've got church abuse. 57% of people are not even looking into faith because of church abuse. That should break our hearts. It's horrific that we see that. 57%, such a high number. And then number three, four, and five, we've got, uh, number three, four, and five, we've got religious wars, we've got judging others, and then we've got issues around money. So that might be fair enough. That might, you know, we might, that might make sense to us. But number two, I want to highlight that. Number two at 47% is hypocrisy. So just let that sink in for a moment. 47% of people say that what blocks them from investigating faith or belief is hypocrisy. People who say one thing and do another. People who say one thing but their actions reflect something else. Now this is what Jesus is saying. And he said it before this research came out. He's saying if salt is diluted, if it's not effective, it will be rejected and trampled underfoot. If people are living half-hearted lives, if they're compromising in their faith, then what happens is the whole thing is thrown out and rejected. So then we've got to ask, well, how, how are we half-hearted? How can we be diluted in our faith or compromise in this? Well, this is where the Sermon on the Mount is so helpful, and there's some really obvious ones. You know? So if we say we follow Jesus but we hate people, that is a way that we are diluted. We are compromising in our faith. If we say we follow Jesus, but we are abusive, that is a way of compromising. That is a way of being diluted in your faith. That's not the way of Jesus. If we say we follow Jesus, but we're committing adultery, you know, whether it is sleeping around or whether it's at home looking at porn or, or, or our own lust in our own heart, that's a way of compromising in our faith. Or things we'll look at in this series. Storing up treasures on earth rather than in heaven. Not praying to our Father in heaven. Not being genuine in our faith. These are the ways Jesus says that we can be half-hearted in our faith. And what happens when we're half-hearted in our faith is we can have a negative impact on those around us. You see, we all want to make a difference. And what Jesus says is you will make a difference. But the first aspect he speaks to is the fact that you may just make a negative difference and have a negative impact on those around you. So what difference can we make? Well, Jesus begins by speaking of the negative difference, the negative impact. But the good news is this morning, it's not just a negative impact. Jesus says you can make a positive impact. And this is where he uses a second illustration to speak of this. So what's the positive impact we can make? Well, let's, let's keep reading. He says this in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus speaks here to the positive impact that we can make, the positive difference that we can make. And he does this by saying, you are the light of the world. Now, I love this because we all know how good light is, particularly in the middle of darkness. 
You know, many of us know what it is to be scared of the dark. That's not, there's no shame in that, to be scared of the dark. If you think about a house that's fully dark and you hear a noise in that house, it's frightening. Or if you're walking home in the dark and you feel like someone's behind you or there's some noise behind you that you don't know, it can be scary. We, we know the feeling of darkness getting the best of us, of feeling a little bit of fear in the darkness. It's interesting in the Bible, though, that, that the Bible takes this language and uses darkness of, of sin, so rejection of God, rebellion against God, of death, of evil, of wickedness. And if the actual darkness doesn't scare you, these things should actually scare you. But you see, the, the Bible speaks to this darkness, and it says that the light will come into the darkness. Now again, we, we know the experience of how good that is when light comes into darkness. You know, if you, you hear that sound in your house and you turn the light on and you realize it was just the dishes falling over, you know that experience, it's good, it comforts your soul. Well, well this is what in the Bible it says of the darkness that light would come into the darkness to fix the darkness. Now, what I love about this is that before it's the followers of Jesus, it's actually Jesus himself. And we see this in the book of John, another biography of Jesus. And we'll have a look at this because when John is introducing Jesus, he speaks about how Jesus is the light. And it will be on the screen behind me. But have a look at this. In verse 4, it says, In him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But then let's go down. He spells this out, what this means in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So he's speaking of the Jews, particularly in this next verse. He came to those that were the, which were his own, but his own did not receive him. That's the Jewish people. Yet, look at verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John says Jesus is the light, the light who would come to deal with darkness, deal with sin and evil and death. And Jesus would do that not by being born, although that was significant, and we remember the light coming into the world by putting lights on our Christmas tree and the light above the manger, but it wasn't by being born, it was by dying. And when Jesus died on the cross, there was a moment where the world literally went dark. For a few hours, it actually went dark, and it was symbolic of this moment, light versus darkness. It's this question, who's going to win, the God who's come into the world, or evil, wickedness, sin, death? But John says, no, there's good news here. Darkness didn't overcome the light. The light overcame darkness, and Jesus would die and then rise and then come back from the dead. And when he did, he shows us that there is hope now. The death is not our end, that there is life. In fact, he says, for those who receive Jesus will be called children of God. Jesus is the light who comes into the world to deal with darkness. But then when we go back to our passage now, do you see how significant it is when he says to his followers, you are the light. That's significant. It's really significant. Because he's saying to the followers of, of Jesus, now you are the light in the world. You have this ability to shine darkness, to shine light into darkness. Now, Followers of Jesus don't do that by dying on a cross and dealing with sin and death, but rather when we point people to Jesus. And he says this in Matthew, light isn't hidden. You know, you put light on a lamp. You don't put it under a bowl. You put it on its stand and you hold it up to, so it's light to everyone. Followers of Jesus then become the light to the world who get to point to Jesus. Now let's just take a step back from this for a moment and think, okay, how then do followers of Jesus point to Jesus? 
Right? Let's take a step back from the text and just go from your gut reaction. What would you say in that moment? How do people point people to Jesus? I think our gut reaction might be we speak about Jesus. And it's true, we have to speak about Jesus. You know, in Romans 10, it speaks about that. How will they hear about Jesus if we don't speak about him? But let's have a look at Jesus' words here. How do we shine the light? Jesus says this in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds. Not your good words, but they may see your good deeds first and glorify your Father in heaven. The way we shine our light is through our actions, our good deeds. Now again, I think we know this through our experience. We've experienced this both negatively and positively. So you think about it negatively first and foremost. We've all, I think we've all seen this or experienced this. So I watched a a video of this that went viral earlier this year. And it was a negative, uh, this illustrated negatively. So it was a uh, street preacher. You could call, uh, you know, you, you might have a different term for them, but people who in the street, and you might have seen them in the city or wherever else that are just speaking from Wherever they are, just telling whoever will listen about the message of Jesus. And this video was a guy who was doing this on a train. So context is really important in that moment, isn't it? On a train. You know, everyone's sitting on the train, minding their own business, unwinding from work or whatever, just sitting there. And this guy is speaking quite loudly to everyone on the train saying the message of Jesus. Now, it got to the point in the video where uh, this old man said, mate, can you just be quiet? We're all minding our own business. No one, like we're all just unwinding from our day at work. Can you just be quiet? The, the old man was a little bit aggressive, but what happened was the guy who was speaking, the street preacher, he became even more aggressive. And it gets to this point where he's yelling at this old man on this train saying, if you don't turn to Jesus, you're going to hell. Now, as I'm watching this video, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. It like hits me deep in my gut. And, and it just moves me. And it's, it's exactly what Jesus is saying here, but in a negative reality. Because what this guy is doing is he's speaking the message of Jesus, but it's detached from the method of Jesus. He's speaking about Jesus, but there's no good deeds there. And what happens? He's rejected. It's trampled underfoot. No one comes out of that glorifying the Father in heaven. In fact, it went viral and more people are watching that now, rejecting Jesus because this guy reacted in the way that he reacted. We know that this is true. But you see, this is not supposed to be the way that it unfolds. It shouldn't be how it is. Jesus says, let your light shine by your good deeds. It's your actions that create the environment and the opportunity to actually love people and help them see Jesus. Now, again, we know this not just negatively, but positively. In fact, if you've come to church in the last, well, ever, you probably came to church because you knew someone. You had a relationship with someone who loved you and showed you actions and good deeds at some point in your life. The connections are are usually the thing that brings people along to hear about Jesus. Or you think about what happened uh, over the last year that we've been doing Alpha. Since the beginning of the year, we've run three Alpha courses, our Christianity courses. We've had 15 people come along that, that aren't a part of church come along to these Alpha courses. Not one of them came detached from a relationship. All of them came because they had some kind of connection with someone where they had experienced good deeds before they heard anything. 
it very rarely happens that people just come up from the street wanting to hear about Jesus. It can happen. God can do whatever he wants. But the usual way it happens is through relationships. It's through what Jesus is saying when your good deeds go first. But again, what I love about this is this is what the research says as well. So if we go back to that research from 2017, you've got here top attractors to religion and spirituality, the thing that's drawing people in to faith more than anything else. So number three, at 12% there, you've got stories or testimonies. So hearing about how your life has changed from Jesus, that is a strong thing that draws people in to faith. 12% of people say that that's the thing that attracted them. 13% was personal trauma or things going on in their life. You know, things that force you to question life or think maybe there is more. 13%, but then look at number the, the top one, 16%. The thing that draws people, attracts people to religion and spirituality is seeing faith played out in genuine ways. 16% of people, when they see someone who says something and it's backed up by their actions, it's attractive. Now, I, I love that the research is just telling us what Jesus already said. When Jesus said, let your light shine before others through your good deeds... And so that when they see your good deeds, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is speaking about wholehearted living here. And when people see someone who's all in, who's wholehearted, the, the, that's where the light is shined. When people are all in, that's, where, that's what makes a positive difference. So you think about it then and you ask this question, so what difference can we make? Well, Jesus speaks of two differences. He essentially says you will make a difference. One of the differences you will make is a negative one. If we're half-hearted, if we're compromised in our faith, it will have a negative impact on those around us. But there's also opportunity to make a positive impact. When we're wholehearted, when we're all in, there can be a positive impact we can make on those around us. Now, as we see Jesus' words this morning, salt and light, this idea that we see play out, the question that we want to ask is, okay, so what do we do with this, right? What does this mean for us as we go out from here this morning? And we've got two things this morning based on the two images. And the first is a challenge and the second is a comfort. Okay, so the first is a challenge. This is based on when Jesus said, you are the salt. You know, this series is called, It's Who You Are. In this passage, Jesus speaks to who you are. You are the salt. If you follow Jesus, this is who you are. And what Jesus is saying in this illustration, this image, is your actions matter. What you do matters. It's not just who you are matters. What you do matters because there can be a negative impact. And the negative impact can be if we're not wholehearted, if we're half-hearted in our faith. And so this then provides us with a challenge. And the challenge is, am I wholehearted? Am I all in or am I half-hearted in my faith? And then I think more than that, the question is, how do I even know if I'm wholehearted? How do I know if I'm half-hearted in my faith? Well, I was thinking about this in the last few weeks, uh, and it, it sort of came about when we were praying a few weeks ago for the persecuted church in Algeria. So if you were here a few weeks ago, we prayed for Algeria. So there was a church in Algeria where it's illegal to follow Jesus, and they're a church just like ours. But what happened one Sunday was uh, a, a bunch of them got arrested for their faith. And a few weeks ago, we prayed for the persecuted church in Algeria. And whenever I hear about the persecuted church or moments like this, the question for me in my life has always been, would I do the same thing? You know, if I was in Algeria, would I, would I have done the same thing? Would I go through the same thing? And then, you know, I, I forget about it because life happens and then I move on and then I never really think about it again. 
But I think in reflection, and then looking at Jesus' words here, I think that I'm actually asking the wrong question. I think there's a better question to be asked, not just would I do that if I was over in Algeria, but rather if Christianity was made illegal this morning, right? So let's say at 9 a.m. this morning, before we had church, if Christianity was made illegal in Australia, would they arrest you for the last week of your life? Would they arrest you for what you've done in the last week? And then more than that, see, you see, it becomes a little bit more pointed than would I do this. More than that, if they put me on trial, would they have enough evidence to actually convict? Do you see, this is, this is what Jesus is getting at here. Where your speech matches what you do. Where who you are matches what you do in your life. It's challenging. It's challenging to think about our lives played out following Jesus. So the first thing we need to consider is this challenge. We need to feel this warning. We need to think about this because there is a negative impact that we can have on those around us. But if the first is a challenge, the second is a comfort. There is good news. And it's a comfort and it's, a, and it's an encouragement here this morning because Jesus is telling us you can make a difference. You can make a positive impact on those around you. And I find it comforting knowing that I can actually make a difference. You know, there's sometimes in life where it, it feels like you, you're not sure if you can make a difference. Have you ever experienced that? You know, I get this, I feel like quite a lot when I think about things to do with the environment or the climate, you know, whichever way you want to think about that. And in our house, we want to be responsible for what we're responsible for. We want to make a difference. We want to be good stewards of our environment. And so we try to do a few things, but at the end of the day, I'm not sure if I can make that much of a difference. And more than that, I was reading an article in the last few weeks that basically said this. It was from America, and it said, asthmatics can change the world. And I clicked on it, and basically what they were saying was, if asthmatics stopped using plastic inhalers they will change the world. Now, as someone who occasionally has asthma and has to use a plastic inhaler, I read that and I thought, okay, there's, you know, something. And then the comment on the article uh, was someone saying, and, and I don't know the exact stats on this, but you know, there's something like 10 companies make up 50% of the rubbish or whatever it is in the world, whatever big stat about those big companies. And someone was saying, you know, you got those companies doing their thing, but it's the asthmatics fault. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is my fault. <laughs> the rubbish in the world, that's my fault. And so I got to, you know, find a, what, a metal? I don't know what the difference is that you can even make in that. And so you hear that and then you think about it and then, you know, you come home and you try and make a difference. You know, maybe you don't have a plastic bottle or a plastic straw or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're not, I actually feel like I'm not that sure if I can make a difference. Now, I want to be responsible for what I'm responsible for. That's true. But I'm just not that sure if I can make a difference in that area. And so I'm left confused and unsure and all of that sort of stuff. It's not comforting. But what Jesus is speaking about here, he's actually speaking about the fact that, no, you can make a positive difference. You can make an eternal difference on the people around you. And you can make that difference by living wholeheartedly. All in through one simple step of obedience at a time. Now, I want to share a story about how we've seen this. 
because we get to see this here at our church. And I want to share this story based on what happens every Wednesday morning during school terms through our English for Life classes. You know, Chrissy, uh, if, you, if you haven't met Chrissy, she's great. She runs a team of people who run English classes for people in our community for free to help them learn how to speak English. They just want to let their light shine before They just want to do something good for people in our community and put on free classes for people if they want to learn how to speak English. We give them free coffee. We try and make it as nice as we can. And they, they come along every Wednesday morning. Now, in the last few years, it's been, it's been really challenging. You know, all of the stuff with COVID and interruptions and all that sort of stuff has been really difficult. But, but our team have kept showing up They've kept rocking up. Sometimes they have really small numbers. Sometimes they have a little bit better numbers, but they keep rocking up whatever it is just to shine the light to the community around us. Now, as they do that, what's happened is they're showing good deeds. There's no ulterior motive. You know, if people want to stay to read the Bible after, they're welcome, but there's no obligation to do that. It's just come and and learn how to speak English. But out of that, it's created the environment and the space where they can speak the message of Jesus. And so they invited people to Alpha. And in term two, two of them came along to Alpha. And one girl in in week two of Alpha put her faith in Jesus. And she prayed a prayer asking for forgiveness. And she received forgiveness because that's what happens. And it was this emotional moment for her. And she shared this with Christy. And I love the way she put this. She said, I didn't think that when I was coming to Australia, this would happen. I love that. It's so good. You know what it is? It's a real difference. And it's a real difference based out of simple steps of obedience and wholehearted. You know, Chrissy and her team, they give up their Wednesdays to do this. It's their free time, it's their work, it's whatever it is, but they're giving up their time to serve in this way and they're seeing a real difference. We see this in all sorts of ways at our church, but this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, you, you can make a difference. And we have a God who's encouraging us and cheering us on and empowering us through one small step of obedience at a time, all in faith. And when people see that and when the good deeds shine before others, this is where people will glorify God, our Father. You know, here at Southside, we talk about our desire to reach our community. We want to reach 1% of our community. We need God to do this. And we're going to look at this throughout our series as we think particularly about prayer. We need God to do this. But but this also depends on our church being wholehearted for Him. And when we are all in, this is where we will see an amazing impact on people around us, an eternal impact all around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reality that you invite us to make a difference and you invite us to make a positive difference. God, we pray that as we look to Jesus, the light of the world, that you would help us to shine the light to those around us, that we wouldn't just speak the message of Jesus, we'd also have the method of Jesus and we would love people well by showing our good deeds first and foremost. And then, God, we pray that as we love our community well in real, tangible, practical ways, we pray, Lord, that we would see people come to know and love Jesus and see that there is hope in the light of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.